You're listening to Mend, Life at the Seams. Hi, I'm Amy Day. And I'm Annie Freaky. Each season, we deep dive into a select community to hear their tales in hopes that we may shed some new light of understanding in that given corner of the world. In this season of Mend, we start digging in our own backyards. Beneath the stereotypes and sensationalized portrayals of criminals, greed, and environmental destruction, to the origins of Humboldt County's marijuana culture, the backs of the landers, the activists, the families, the farmers, and the medicine makers. In a landscape that is rapidly shifting, we go back to the beginning to see where we started, where we've come thus far, and hopefully shed some light on the path that's yet to come. So join us. Pull up a chair, pour a glass, and listen. Welcome to this, our 10th episode of MEND. This feels like a milestone for the two of us as we initially envisioned compiling a grand total of 20 interviews for this, our first season of the podcast. So this would put us at the halfway point. We are still continuing to enjoy these conversations and stories we unearth here. So we'll see how that number shifts as we journey forward. In this interview, we venture off the path we've trod thus far and sit down for a very candid and personal chat with Marie a worker who has been on the production end of the cannabis scene, AKA a trimmer, for the past eight years. Although we deeply value the perspective of the pioneers and originators of this tribe, we also felt it was necessary to examine some of the other aspects and viewpoints within this world as well. So here you'll gain a vivid portrait of a woman who has been able to, among other things, travel, support her passions as a singer, a painter, and adventurer abroad. She gives us a detailed accounting of the typical workday, hint, not your typical nine to five, and the seasonal aspect this particular job entails. We also get down to the nitty gritty money bits, including how much one can make historically in this line of work and how that's changing, and the great life that she's managed to carve out for herself as a result of this vocation, and living this fabulous life on a much smaller budget than you might expect. Marie shares with us how cannabis helped her overcome a debilitating addiction to alcohol and cocaine in her early 20s. We also dip into some controversial waters too. She shares her responses to those who see the marijuana economy as one of extraction of merely taking without ever giving back. And we look toward what the future might hold for herself and also the thousands of people like her who have relied upon this as a way of subsisting and bankrolling their dreams in other walks of life. We've chosen to keep this particular talk raw and real. Here at MEND, we don't aim to portray pictures of perfect people, but rather to provide a mic and a listening ear to people that are learning, growing, and imperfect, who are doing their best to navigate this time with the tools they have at their disposal. We have the lovely pleasure of talking to Marie, who's joined us tonight. Um, And so, as we begin, how we begin, (laughs) how we've been starting these things, um, we just want to say thank you. And so we wondered, uh, so we've kind of been doing this thing where we just kind of want to put everyone in context from the beginning. Mm -hmm. So 
Could you tell us, Marie, just what your role inside this world, this marijuana culture of Humboldt County is? My role in this in this culture would definitely be um, predominantly a trimmer. And um, I definitely have done some house sitting and things like that. But the majority of um, how I've made my, my livelihood comes from trimming. Okay. Yep. How long have you been doing that for? Uh, since 2009. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And can I ask how you, how did you come into it? How did I stumble into it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I had like a regular job and when I first moved out here and I had all these friends that were like going and hanging out all day long and making all this money and I was like losing money basically going to work. (laughs) So it kind of felt like it was um, like defeating the purpose to like have a real job. Mm -hmm. So I stepped away from that and just started kind of trying to find um, more regular uh, side jobs like that and it became a pretty easy way to completely support myself yeah mm-hmm. um can you tell us a little bit just for just for the completely i'm gonna i'm gonna just say naive uninitiated for the mm-hmm. for those like maybe 10 people in humboldt county who don't yeah. know what a, a trim scene <laughs> looks like can you give us an idea of what yeah. some of the different environments that cool. you've been working so, in? Yeah, like? you, you can, you can, there's like such a wide array. You might be like working in somebody's kitchen and they've got like their aunt that lives upstairs in an apartment um, and you got to like be out of there by six o'clock at night kind of thing. Or you could be out in um, a greenhouse in the middle of the forest somewhere where there's like a generator running 24-7 and... Um, it's filthy and, uh, rambunctious, you know, or you could be like just kind of sitting in somebody's garage. I mean, there's just, there's so many different scenes, um, and different types of people that you meet in this walk of life that it's really hard to like pinpoint one specific, um, way that it is, except that it's, un uh, it's unpredictable. <laughs> so to clarify for the audience, um, a trimmer is someone who processes the marijuana after mm-hmm. it's harvested. Yeah. So after um, a crop is is finished, uh, it gets hung up to dry for about a week, and then people like me come in and trim all of the leaves off of it and make it look beautiful so that it can go on to be used as medicine or you mm-hmm. know. Um, so if we're talking about the different uh, scenarios mm-hmm. that you may work in, we had a woman that came on. She was a small-scale farmer, and one of the reasons she wanted to come on was because there was a lot of hype. Um, I don't necessarily want to call it hype because that means that maybe it didn't actually happen, but there was a lot of media coverage about women coming into the area mm-hmm. and the really unsafe conditions that they were working in. Yeah. So mm-hmm. did you have any experience with that? No, luckily, I mean, but let's be real, like, it is definitely something that, like, a woman should not take lightly coming and doing by herself and working for people that she doesn't know. I mean, and that goes for men, too, really, just anybody, like, don't work for somebody that you don't know and don't hire people that you don't know, you know, or, like, that haven't been vetted by somebody that you trust, I guess. 
But yeah, let's, you, you know, like just because I've been lucky enough that something, you know, bad hasn't happened to me or around me or to someone that I know directly doesn't mean that it doesn't happen because it absolutely does. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, it's something that I take seriously. Like my safety in doing this is something I take really seriously. So I don't go work for people that I don't know and I don't have to luckily, but people mm -hmm. come from out of town or out of state or out of the country and they, um, they take the first job that's offered to them, you know, and I think that that's where people get themselves into sticky situations when they don't have any like local contact or somebody that like is looking out for them or expecting them to be somewhere at a certain time and when they don't show up, you know, um, then there's somebody concerned. So it's like if you, if you come into this, you know, as hoping to be, you know, find yourself employed, um, yeah, having a good head on your shoulders and, and, uh, not trusting just anybody that's willing to hire you, I think is mm. paramount in your safety. Well, and because it is more important in this scenario, because you're not just getting a job yeah. at like an office, like you're coming into someone's living space yeah. and you're spending 24 hours Intimate, a day. Yeah. Like long periods of time with them and you get to, yeah, it, even people, you know, even if it's not somebody that you're working for, but even people that you work with, you know, sometimes, you know, you never know who you're going to meet and some of these places. And so, yeah, there's a lot of like interesting social like dynamics that you find yourself in. And that's something that for me is like really exhilarating, but also could be, uh, it mm -hmm. could be really easy to get out of control. Not for the faint of heart. <laughs> Not for the faint of heart. Usually it's all like really fun, you know, and like raunchy. And, <laughs> and so, you know, well, you usually it's all... You know, related to a sewing circle, basically. Yeah. Like a well-paid sewing circle. Very well. <laughs> like a nice stitching bitch with a good paycheck attached. Yeah, yeah. Very good, very well-paid um, sewing circle, like... Uh, you'll hear any uh, anything and everything. Nothing mm. is off off the table, you mm. know. So that's that's something that I think is really awesome. <laughs> but, you know, you find if you find it like you know people rubbing up against some of their comfort zones for sure. So if you spend long intimate time with people, then you're gonna you know you're gonna have that happen. I wanted to back it up a little and mm -hmm. just. Um... So we seem to be hearing there's this theme that keeps emerging as we talk to people and when we ask them how they ended up here. Mm -hmm. And so and so it's, before I actually say what, what that theme is, or for just to influence your, what, what is your, how did you come to be in this area and what is it that drew you here? I was um, studying environmental science and I wanted to be an environmental lawyer. Mm -hmm. So Humboldt State University was really appealing to me in that regard. Um, and then I wanted to go on and, and go to law school in Oregon. So the reason that I actually moved here was um, so I could go to HSU. Um, but that's, you know, my life kind of took a different turn. And I, I was kind of awoken to some passions that I had let lie dormant for a while so my my the freedom that this job allowed me afforded me like gave me uh, ample time to be able to kind of reconnect to these things that were really important to me that I had um, let fall on the back burner because I was you know being studious you know and like trying to 
um, have, have, have like a legit job in the world. And um, not that that's something that I don't want to have for myself potentially in my life. But at the time, it was just like, wow, there's an opportunity here. And it has an expiration date, surely. So um, I, I can either um, take advantage of it and see what it can do for my life um, or possibly let this opportunity pass me by. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So what would you say some of the major opportunities that this life and this mm-hmm. vocation has afforded you? Travel. Time, um, time for sure. Um, and then, yeah, like the, the confidence to feel that like, I know I'm going to be okay. I have, um, like, I, I feel like I can always come back here and sort of re up, you know what I mean? Like come back to home base and, um, uh, be able to, you know, get my nest egg back yeah so now so this is something this is a separate question I want to hear more about what the travel and the time because Mm -hmm. I know that there's a lot big some juicy stuff in there that you Mm -hmm. we haven't delved into yet Mm -hmm. so I was thinking earlier today as we were I was as we were getting ready to to have this talk so there is a man in my town so I live up here in Trinidad in northern Humboldt um, and there's a man who hangs out at the coffee shop because we only have one coffee shop. Yeah. <laughs> and he is one of those who has like the vendetta. You know, he, he likes to sit there. You know, I think he has like a very small farm. You know, you see him selling garlic on the side of the road and stuff. And he has some very pointed things to say about immigrants you know it's like they uh-huh. come in and they they don't live here they don't mm-hmm. participate in our you know their communities and they just come in and they just take they just take yeah um and i wonder what you what is your perspective what do you say to someone who is here day in and day out and is you know to their mind is really participating mm-hmm. actively you know yeah. and sees you know someone like yourself who's who comes in and works for a time mm-hmm. and then leaves mm-hmm. As someone who's extracting, what is your what is what is your response? Yeah, well, I I mean, I guess I lived here full time for a number of years before I dove out into the world and then would leave and then come back. So yeah, I guess I guess I never thought about myself in that way because, um, yeah, because I felt like this is like my home really. Mm-hmm. So it never doesn't feel to me like I'm. Um, taking advantage of something or whatever you know what I mean like I think that there's a sense that for some people like they feel really protective of what's happening here and it's like unless you're a townie then you're a trimmigant or whatever but I don't I just don't feel that way about myself maybe that's you know that's just you know my own um, justifying what I do I guess but I do live here full-time like right now there's a big difference between what I do and then somebody that's like doesn't actually have any roots in this uh, this place. Mm-hmm. So, do you want to go in a little bit about um, what you've been able to do, like a little more detail? And sure. What yeah. This is? So. Um, I did, uh, yeah, I lived here for a few years full time and I kept seeing people come and like work the fall and then they'd go like and go to Bali or whatever for like six months, you know, I was like, they might be onto something, you know, (laughs) and um, I was 
uh, I was approaching a milestone in my life, getting ready to turn 30, and I was just like, okay, I have to do it. And I just like summed up the courage and I moved to Paris and I um, I'm a singer and a painter. So uh, when I first moved there, I was able to like supplementally support myself with other, you know, other talents that I have. But it was ultimately like the like the, the nest egg, yeah. yeah, that from here that allowed me to do that. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I, I wanted to go back just because I do think this is something if you haven't been inside this world, maybe you don't have a particular. Mm-hmm. So what kind of a season are we talking about? And I do realize that that has probably shifted because you just mentioned the fall, mm-hmm. which used to be the traditional harvest season. Yeah. And now with all of our technology in yeah. place now, I think that this harvest season has gotten, yeah, got, you know, can um, extended. So mm-hmm. how long would you come into area for? Like how many months at a time would you work? Uh, traditionally, it would be like about four months-ish. Okay. Um, but yeah, now people that are coming to do it, they can, they come, you know, like as early as July, you know, and then they stay through November or December. So, I mean, you're looking at half a year there for sure. Um, and that's, you know, people maybe do like light depth jobs and then have a little break and then start working full season, you know, outdoor jobs. And what's, how long, what are the days like? How long do you go for? Um... Yeah, it's kind of at that point, uh, most places let you have like a, it's like a free for all. And sometimes they might limit the hours, but um, I would I've definitely accustomed myself to 14 hour days. Okay. And that's that's definitely a norm. But, you know, you have the freedom to start and stop when you want and take a snack break, go on a walk. I mean, I've never worked anywhere that was like super strict. So you, you know, you have an open door to basically hustle as hard as you want or relax and kick it as much as you want. But I don't see why you would relax and kick it. (laughs) (laughs) You hit a work, people. You hit a work. (laughs) So then what, um, because one of the big things you do hear from, from landowners, Mm -hmm. um, is just, you know, like, you know, because it used to be this thing that you hear that, you know, you could go do this tiny gorilla scene in the hills, mm-hmm. but the price per pound was so astronomical, you didn't need much. And yeah. now, you know, uh, it's, <laughs> that that's changed. So yeah. how, how have, what is, have you felt the blowback from that as someone who's on the processing end of things? Yeah. What is the pay? What was it like? And mm-hmm. what has it become like? And has there been a big shift there? Yeah, there's definitely a shift happening. Um, it used to be like consistently two hundred a pound. So if you uh, if you processed one pound, you were paid two hundred dollars for that. <clears throat> you hear about people, you know, maybe going down to like one fifty. That's you know that's kind of the like range where I think it's starting to go, but. Um, I haven't seen that, like, I haven't taken that many jobs that were that low paying. Okay. Um, but I know that that's coming, you know. Yeah. So we all, yeah, we all know that there's, like, expiration dates on this stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> well, and is there, I mean, is there talk, too? I mean, that, because I, I feel like, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sound really uneducated here, because I feel like in Oregon, mm-hmm. you have to have a license, mm. right, to trim. And there's, you have to go through all of this. 
And again, I'm going to sound really uneducated because no, is this Annie or shaking your head? <laughs> no, I'm just, well, I'm just because um, I just had this conversation actually just today, and I'm uneducated about it also. But yeah. I believe that it's even going to go so far as like there's going to be tax forms, and yeah, people yeah. are going to have mm-hmm. to be. It's so that brings me to a question. I have a couple questions actually. One is more maybe philosophical, but because um, you were talking about you know the security that you feel of knowing that you can always come back mm-hmm. and get this nest egg but um, as you were saying that I was like well yeah <laughs> I'm not so sure about that so yeah yeah that's how I felt in the past for sure um that I I had that you know ability to um, kind of use my resources and then come back and stock back up um and I I'm sure that is changing Definitely. And um, I don't think that there's like the need for people doing this kind of work is going to go away. But I think that what's going to happen is that people aren't going to be able to look. We've been like super spoiled, you know, Mm -hmm. like we have had so like such an incredible um, uh, opportunity for like people to change their lives, um, making insane, you know, just insane amounts of money but um mostly i think that there's still a a huge possibility for people to be able to pay their bills you know and it may not be like as cush of a lifestyle as they've had in the past but i think that there's still a livelihood to be made here for people but yeah like our you know uh, Five hundred dollar and a Wildberry uh, grocery store visits might be a little less frequent. Or sushi, yeah, yeah right. You know, sushi once a week, and well, they're building um, a grocery outlet in McKinleyville. So. They do. <laughs> we'll ride the transition. Um, and this is something I, I want to get into a little bit with you too, because you and I chatted. Um, before this interview Mm -hmm. and we did talk about just how things are changing and how people you know from my perspective might have a really difficult time transitioning and you said this beautiful thing about like well well sure you know (laughs) if you've been like you know able to live high on the hog as much as you want but you made how much if you don't mind my asking and Mm -hmm. you can give me a vague answer here I just Mm -hmm. wanted to get into the Mm nitty-gritty if you came and you did a typical season four Mm -hmm. to six months and and, you know your 14 hour days Mm -hmm. at the typical rate how much money would you walk away with typically at the end of a season hmm yeah so I've lived I've lived pretty frugally through the year um, the way that I've my kind of the cycle that I've been um, on I live pretty frugally throughout the year but I'm traveling and doing these amazing things so right. it doesn't feel like I'm like restricting myself right. but then when I come here and I'm like actually actively working then I usually like will spoil myself and like just let you know if I want to go to the hot tubs or whatever you know because the money's coming in well and also I mean that speaks to what is it like on uh-huh. your body to be sit in a chair or it's, stand, you know. Yeah, it's not an easy job on yeah. your body for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you get your body actually like releases tension by movement. So by sitting places for long periods of time, like your body gets super stagnant, and it's it's a meditative practice for sure. But along the terms of like how much I've made um, after you know like doing whatever it was that I wanted for those four months, typically I'd walk away with like twenty five ish. For me to live off of until um, I came back again. That's twenty five thousand. Twenty five thousand. 
Yeah. Which sounds... Well, it's interesting. I mean, which sounds like a lot for four mm-hmm. months worth of work. And yet, $25,000 for a single... the whole year is not much it's money. It's not an yeah. insane amount of money. But I lived off of it extremely... Um, just in the most, like, juicy way that I could possibly think of to do it, you know? And not have to... You know, it's hard to live off of one lump sum of money for the whole year. I'd have, like, maybe a couple jobs here and there that would give me a little bit extra pay for, like, you know, food for the week or whatever. Right. But um, that's not necessarily easy for most people, but I have gotten pretty good at it. Maybe you should teach this the next <laughs> new wave of people. <laughs> that's one conversation I have had with my own partners as we've watched people kind of come up but not be able to stay in that yeah. up position. Yeah. And, you know, I married this man who just comes from this, you know, incredibly, you know, like – German, we got to put bricks under the bed to keep it warm at night. You know, like this Great Depression, poor (laughs) child in the ghetto mindset. It's just like, okay, babe, he's great at saving money. And so he has no understanding of people Mm -hmm. that, you know, can have this huge harvest, this huge paycheck, and then six months, a year or so later, they have nothing to show for it. And I'm like, well, you know, like you said, that is to get a big chunk of money at one Mm -hmm. time. That is easy for people to blow it. Daunting. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't, because that's a tremendous amount of power. Mm You know, I don't know that all, I know that not all people have the the capacity to mm-hmm. deal with that kind of, yeah. kind of energy yeah. all at once. Yeah, obviously I've had the support of like loved ones that I was able to be honest with them about what I was doing. And that really um, was, I think, the, the crux of me being able to do this or yeah. not. So... I want to go back to that, that old, the old time we're sitting in the coffee shop. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel an obligation in a way because a lot of the people that we've interviewed have been back to the Landers who mm-hmm. came up 40 years ago mm-hmm. and came up because they had a connection to a land and they came up with the intention of being good stewards to the land. So I do say this not as a judgment, more as like mm-hmm. a, just an obligation to get this other side out and to, but if they, um, what would you say as far as like, cause you're talking about what you get mm-hmm. for, and I appreciate that you're, that you saying that you've lived here and that this is your home. And, mm-hmm. um, and I totally get that cause mm-hmm. every, you know, when you move here, you're like, yes, this is home. This is beautiful. Mm-hmm. But so when you come here and you get to, you get this opportunity to make money and you work really hard mm-hmm. and it's really hard work and you make money and then you go traveling mm-hmm. and you do your thing and then you come back. Mm-hmm. So what do you say to that person that's here through the whole time? Being a good steward on the land, mm-hmm. being a part of the community, what do you bring back? Mm-hmm. Are you just a transient worker? Are you someone who calls us home, lives here to make money, and then goes? Or what? What like what is it that you're bringing back to? Yeah. In your and your justification of, not justification. Not that's not the right word, but mm-hmm. if you had to sit down with them and explain your role in this community. Yeah, I mean, hopefully as, it's like on some level. Hopefully it's like a little bit of inspiration to like, you know, show people that you don't have to have like a lot of money to go out and do things that are really fulfilling for you in your life. Um, That's what my goal is. And that's, I think, what I bring to the space around me. And like when I share with, with people what I've done, they're like, whoa. So I think that it's mostly like you know, just showing people that you don't have to like sit in the same place 
all year round, you can give yourself air, you can breathe Mm -hmm. and you can go and like see things that are amazing, wonderful, beautiful things that like you have in your, your journey destined for you and not to be afraid of that. Um, so that's, that's ultimately like what I want for myself and what I want for people around me. Um, and I hope that that's something that I bring back along with, yeah, cultural things that, um, you know, I've picked up along the way and, I'm a painter and I've, I've learned an incredibly unique um, old master's method of painting that I can teach to people here. That's like a huge part of the visionary art world right now. Um, so there's, you know, and we have a huge number of artists in our community. Mm-hmm. So going out, um, I've lived in Vienna for the last two years and um, been studying um, painting there. And so that's a huge motivating uh, driving force in our community is art. So going out and... Um, um, bring, a, bring a little piece of the outside, bring, yeah, bring outside things. world back in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. They're kind of thing. And so, so that's a question I have. Mm-hmm. I have a couple of things. I mean, so one thing that this, this lifestyle has afforded you mm-hmm. has been to have this, you know, really beautiful bohemian adventuresome existence which I would you know imagine for someone who has kind of a a contract with the land so to mm-hmm. speak you know they've decided that they want to stay and partner with the land mm-hmm. you know I would imagine there, there there might be some hints of you know that's your position is enviable even wouldn't it be mm-hmm. nice to be able to roam the world and not feel tied down to one thing and how you have mentioned to me in other conversations that you find your place so you're self at a moment in time right now where travel for the moment is seeming like it's not a thing so how do how do you feel with the the prospect of maybe settling in and making that deeper connection Mm -hmm. to this place and you know kind of setting down some roots and reintegrating into Mm -hmm. the community at large how does that i'll say one thing you can't afford it on twenty five thousand a year anymore yeah, you're like plenty land for that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I wasn't living here for twenty five yeah. years, you know. Um, but I was living in huge, very, very expensive cities mm-hmm. on that money. So um, it is definitely doable. But um, yeah, I guess like let me say that like I have mad respect for what is happening here and the um the the land that's here and that's part of what drew me you know as like an environmentalist to this place so yeah i feel very protective of it too and like i've been involved in um like in, like awareness out like outreach things when they when they put out the um the proposition that they were going to blow up strawberry rock you know and like things like that and so there's yeah i i feel like very much a um, a protection of this place as well. So um, I get it if people are, um, I understand the point of view that like people would feel like it's uh, people in my place are kind of coming and taking and then leaving, you know, but yeah, I just, I, my conscience is clear in that way. So I don't feel like I have to defend it. Do you have a vision of what it might look like mm-hmm. to make this place a little bit more, not necessarily a permanent mm-hmm. pl- 
place for you, but more of, um, you know, what that would look like for yourself just to kind of set down some roots for a moment and mm-hmm. really replant yourself. Yeah, my, 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 my partner's here. Mm. So, um, this is not, I'm, I'm not going anywhere, yeah. you know? <laughs> um, and that's, yeah, that's kind of what my relationship to this place has been like anyways. It's like kind of a home base and like a grounding point and a place for me to kind of go back into like my cocoon to like re like start manifesting what is the next step. So that's what this place has symbolized for me. Like when I come here, it's not just about making money. It's like I'm now like and I, I'm in an, I'm getting ready to face the next step. Like what's this is my preparation for my next launching. So it's a lot of me preparing myself for what am I going to do? What, you know, I'd like this with all this time that I have to like sit with my thoughts because this is like can be a very mundane job, also, you know, um, day in and day out, just like sitting thing. there. You got all you got is your th- you and your thoughts, baby, you know. And um, it's like such a meditative discipline. It's really similar to painting in that regard, like mm. like this dedication that you're like, okay, I'm sitting here and I'm with you, and we're gonna get through this together. Mm. And um, yeah, so I've used a lot of my personal time doing this as. Like I'm envisioning what am I, what is actually like, I'm what am the things that are in my hands and what I'm doing with them. What is that like going to turn into, you know, three months down the road. And I used to like think like, Oh, I'm going to, you know, go to move to Paris, for example. So like, okay, well this bud that I'm dropping in my basket, that's done. It's like, Oh, well that's one bite of a croissant or whatever, you know, <laughs> and just little things like that, where I'm like manifesting, like really trying to put out to the universe, like what, it is that I want to have come out of this. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think that's one conversation. I don't know. I, I have with some people is just this, you know, after this wave has kind of passed and if mm-hmm. the bubble bursts, you mm-hmm. know, what is that, this next iteration of our area going to look like? And mm-hmm. I feel like that's something that's always going to remain is this, this is a place that calls to people on the spiritual level, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. so even if it's not, if the affluence is no longer here, I think it does still have that, you know, like people want to be at the foot of the, you know, the lip of the ocean, you mm-hmm. know, they want to walk among ancient trees, you know, mm-hmm. there's going to always be, you know, that connection of this is the place you can go back to kind of like go back into the, mm-hmm. the womb almost, you know, yeah. and kind of be reborn, ready mm-hmm. to go back out and kind of tackle the world yeah. so to speak yeah so. it's a great place it is a great place to recharge and I know quite a mm-hmm. few people and me included mm-hmm. you know I love to travel mm-hmm. and we travel you know we like to travel when we can and uh, I mean I studied anthropology because I wanted to travel mm-hmm. but I always wanted to have Humboldt to come back home yeah. to like mm-hmm. a good base yeah um, but it's just been interesting to talk to and so I'm just thinking about this kind of like these waves of people and you know speaking with these back to the landers and that people came up mm-hmm. with it just these really simplistic ways of wanting to live on the land and just kind of like being here and this is where we're going to be and you know but then kind of the new wave was like well I want to be here and recharge but I also like there's a whole world out there to go see and mm-hmm. how do we go see that and you know it, I just there's always always these uh, shiftings and one of the yeah. things that I'm really enjoying about this podcast is kind of seeing this evolution and you know it doesn't have to be one way or the other 
you know, how can we just, mm-hmm. you know, be good stewards of the land, but still have our, yeah. our experiences yeah, abroad I mean, and, and bring that back and yeah. take it out, you know? And well, I think you, you know, I, I think of analogies to the, um, like the spiritual community, you know, and you do have that certain segment of people that would just prefer to go live at the monastery, at the ashram up in the hills and mm-hmm. just forget about the problems of the rest of the world. Like that is their vision of gaining enlightenment. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, drink the, drink the soup, drink the tea, mm-hmm. carry water. <laughs> Don't step on an ant. Exactly. <laughs> and that would be idyllic to them. Whereas there's this other school you know, which is much more like, no, you get to stay in it. You know, you carry the nectar and the lessons mm-hmm. and the, the honey from this place, from this practice, you know, this this honey pot. Yeah. And you, you reintegrate it. You bring yourself back out into the world. You stay in the world mm-hmm. with this newfound information and toolkit that you have. Yeah, and, I, and that touches on something that's like, for me, you know, like I'm, I, I, I make products as well, you know, mm-hmm. and I've helped a lot of different people in my travels. So it's not even necessarily like what I, do I necessarily bring back here, but I bring like I've I've helped a lot of people by like making medicine for them like around the world you know muscle muscle rub tincture RSO you know I mean like I was helping a woman um, uh, who had mesothelioma Hmm. and the poor woman like couldn't breathe but she really benefited from having a a cannabis tincture you know Hmm. and she was able to her on her own source products for me to be able to make her tincture and Rick Simpson oil. And mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, she, you know, not everybody that I've made medicine for has, um, like beat cancer, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm not saying that, but like, there's a lot of other ways that we help people with the toolkits of things that, you know, you learn here and making medicine part is something that I feel very, um, passionate about. And, like, that's something that we have a responsibility to share with the world, yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. I wanted to bring up one thing that Gentry, actually, which I'm not even sure if we put this part of the, art, of the interview out, okay. but um, she talks about that, about going out into the world, taking what you learn and go out into the world mm-hmm. and spreading that. And so that is part of the yeah. thing of the recharging, because it is such a special place, and then going out into yeah. the world and recharging and I also want to say, um, I spoke with a doctor one time about medical marijuana, and I remember him, this is one of my favorite uses of medical marijuana was depression, because he said, if you get stoned and forget that you're depressed, then you're not as depressed, like, yeah. you start to heal, and I was like, it's that simple. Yeah. I spent some time living in Morocco, and I had like someone tell me an anecdote about the not the current king of Morocco, but his father was asked by a journalist somewhere along the line. And I mean, I might be botching the story, but basically what I recall from it was that the journalist asked him, um, why don't you make marijuana illegal in Morocco? And he said something to the, something along the lines of, um, you see him, um, a boy and he's fighting with his mother and, um, you know, they get in this big fight and they leave and he goes and he scores some hash and he smokes his, he, and he smokes and he comes back to the house and he's telling his mother how much he loves her. Mm. And that was like the King of Morocco's reasoning for like why he doesn't, you know, make cannabis illegal there, you know? And he's just like, Hey, you know, if it's going to 
bring love back into households, you know, into families, mm-hmm. and then I'm not going to take that away from them. So, I mean, of course, obviously, all throughout Europe, Morocco is famous for their hash, too. So, mm-hmm. I'm sure that that has something to do with it. <laughs> but anyways, that was what Hassan De said, allegedly said to a journalist who asked him why. I had a couple of questions. Mm-hmm. Um and we've, we've hit on it a little already, but just I, I wanted to know what your personal relationship to this plant is. Well, yeah, that's something for me that's like super homey and um, it's I'm a daily consumer of cannabis for sure. And I have been for, I don't know, probably like 15 years. I don't know. Um, I have definitely taken, uh, like had stints where I've, I haven't smoked as much maybe for availability or like, because I'm in a place that's remote, you know, and whatever, but yeah, I'm a daily consumer. Um, I've had vasal vagal response episodes my whole life. Um, can you say that again? Yeah. I didn't understand what I have what's called vasal vagal response episodes and it's the most common reason why people faint. Uh, but I've had, yeah, I've had these episodes happen since I was little where, you and, faint. Mm-hmm, where I'd faint. Yeah. And, um, certainly I believe cannabis consumption has, has helped that. Do you have any reason why you like that's just your anecdotal evidence mm-hmm. of maybe cannabis helped it or has you have you talked to a doctor about it or? well it is an antispasmodic mm-hmm. okay. so um it's definitely treated like p- it, people use it for epilepsy mm-hmm. um but yeah i th- think that the reasons why episodes like what i have happen are um it can be psychological it can be pain um it could be extreme extreme temperature changes you know um, so yeah, like the emotional and like physical pain aspect, like cannabis really helps with that. This, um, this wasn't an area I had planned on going, but just while we're hitting on kind of the more therapeutic uses of mm-hmm. cannabis, I know just from having a personal relationship with you that you in, in your past, in your youth, you had, of um, some issues around addiction Mm -hmm. that I know that you consequently overcame, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. which for a lot of people, they don't come out the other side. And so did cannabis play a role at all in helping? Yeah. I mean, even when I went to rehab and um, I was like sober, quote unquote, um, I did smoke cannabis. And I think that that was like a major uh, coping mechanism for me, like getting through the do you mind telling us what your particular yeah. addiction was? Yeah, sure. Um, I, uh, in my early 20s, I was addicted to cocaine, and I was severely alcoholic at the time. Um, and I I think that I will probably always struggle with um, like triggers in that regard, but um, I, haven't, I haven't been a user since my early 20s. Um, I do drink a little bit now, but, um, yeah, that was something that was pretty, pretty challenging to overcome. But yeah, even, you know, throughout my rehab, I did extensive, um, intensive outpatient. Uh, I still did smoke cannabis and, um, I don't know. I I, I can't imagine how I would have maintained full sobriety without it. Hmm. I know that sounds maybe a little silly, but it was, um, 
it was kind of like took the edge off. It definitely took the edge off and helped me um, like just cope with the struggles around like because it was all internal stuff, like mm-hmm. psychological stuff, like um, pain and wounds from things that happened in my early, you know, earlier stages of my life that. I was trying to work out and um, yeah, so I, I think, yeah, I got, definitely came across some people in the like rehab community that were just like, you know, this is bullshit, you know, because you smoke weed, but um, it definitely helped me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How did you get into making medicine with it? Um, I've always kind of been a little bit of a kitchen witch. And, um, you know, I practice herbal medicine anyways, and I have since I was like maybe 19 ish and, um, I became really just disturbed by the like medical pharmaceutical complex and fast food and all of that. And I was just like, no, I, I'm, I was, I've completely turned myself off to all of it. Like I hardly even will take Tylenol for cramps or anything. Um, but, um, yeah, so it was just something that I naturally got into, uh, through herbal being, you know, practicing herbal medicine and then meeting people that wanted, you know, and needed access to medicine and needed help. And it was like, I totally know how to do that. So I'm going to do it. Yeah. So I did. (laughs) Have you met any, have you met um, other people dealing with addiction. I guess what I'm getting at is like, have you met other people that have dealt with their addiction by using cannabis? Mm-hmm. Really? There's no way that like it was just cannabis that like helped me. Yeah, no way. And like this, this is some like I had a huge like massive amounts of support from my loved ones. That's a crucial you know element in all of that, and um, that that was. Um, had way more to do with it than smoking weed. So, so the rehab and the environment mm-hmm. and the support, but the cannabis helped take the edge off. For sure. Mm-hmm. Well, so my my experience has always been because I'm not a smoker. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it when it does happen, it has this, you know, when, when I do smoke, there's this instant, it's a shift, you know? Like, it's not the energy, whereas, you know, cocaine is that energy of more, more, more. You know, it's just uh-huh. like... You know, okay, give me more of that. You know, and a lot of drugs, even alcohol has that effect, you know, where it's just like, okay, I feel good. I want more of this. And I suppose I've never gotten there myself. You know, like you could get to a place with cannabis where it's like, this feels really good. I want more. I've never gotten to that place because I usually just feel really disoriented and strange. (laughs) And I don't need to feel more strange. But for me, it's always had this effect of like, it kind of puts the brakes on, you Uh know, like you go into this much more kind of meditative, reverent Mm -hmm. internal space, which Mm -hmm. is not about like, you know, Mm -hmm. yelping it up or, you know, like swinging by the rafters. It's a much more like subdued, Mm -hmm. quiet, internal space. Well, I think that's where we would get into the conversation. Uh, Like we had some with Jane uh, Bothwell, but about the different strains. Right. Um, Because I feel like, yeah, definitely there is... And even just your mental state. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I know from my own experience, like sometimes, you know, just a hit or two and go work in the garden and I'm so happy just and, and in that out, meditative yeah. state. But if there is kind of other things involved, like a big party and yeah, and yeah. already some alcohol that... Yeah. Then for some people it is like more and more and more. I have a friend that says it's just kind of like 
it just propels you into more of what you're already, you know, so it's like, if you're sitting on the couch playing video games, it's just gonna, like, you're gonna get out of the video games, you know, but if you're in the garden, if you're painting, if you're doing the thing, it's just gonna drive you deep into Mm. your work, into your your space, so. I think that it's, like, there's still so much of, like, the ghost in the machine when it comes to that, and that's where, like, we're still in a very, like, groundbreaking time as far as our our understanding of, you know, what's happening to our body when in certain different kinds of bodies, people react Mm. differently. And, you know, um, it's definitely strain specific, but I think it's also like, you know, your own personal body's Mm. um, workings. And then, yeah, we, like I said, the ghost in the machine that we don't quite understand yet. What do all these cannabinoids do? The trickster plant. The The trickster plant. Yeah. 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 What are your, because uh, you continue to rely on this in this moment at least mm-hmm. as an income source, as a way to continue to fuel you as an artist, mm-hmm. as a traveler, as all of these beautiful things. Mm-hmm. What are your hopes and 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 fears even mm-hmm. for this next wave as we see this getting just completely, you know, blown out and... Um, yeah. I'm excited to see, um, you know, like the industry and not just like in cannabis production, but like there's a whole wave of products and machinery and, you know, there's a whole industry that in in medicine, you know, that's like has uh, a lot of growth that's still about to happen that, you know, it's like who's out there designing the um, the laser trimmer. You know what I mean? Like the, the machine that's like trimming weed more accurately than a human hand ever could. And they're going to, you know, you'd like need that one machine and that's the one machine that you're going to use for like 10 years and you never have to hire a trimmer ever again, you know? You'll be um, out of business. I'll be out of a job, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, there's things like that that are going to happen, you yeah. know? And there's still going to be need for, like, people to do things, you know, and... What do you see yourself doing for a vocation when you, when this is no longer viable or worth doing for you? Yeah, that's a good question. (laughs) And, um, yeah, I have a lot of, luckily, I I have a lot of things that I can, I can do with myself. Um, I've been a professional singer, so um, when I lived abroad, I've supported myself supplementally through performances, teaching voice lessons, um, a painter as well. And so through teaching, um, uh, painting and um, selling paintings, hopefully. Um, <laughs> Do you yeah. ever think about going back into environmental law? Mm-hmm. I've thought a lot about going back to school and what I would want to do at this stage in my life mm-hmm. um yeah this this is still uh, something that's viable for me mm-hmm. and um so i'm not like planning to change that quite yet okay yeah yeah i mean there may be some room for some environmental law in the whole compliance mm-hmm and that's really ultimately the point that we started this podcast is, you know, there's this, these bigger stories that mm. just the huge environmental destruction and the yeah. greed and all these things that are happening. Mm. But we want to get underneath these stories to so all the people that are still here that are still trying to be good stewards of the land mm-hmm. um, in this industry that they know. And yeah. 
it's like how people get on the internet, you know, like, you know, if you're trolling, looking for people who disagree with you, you don't see people, you know, Mm -hmm. you just see viewpoints Mm -hmm. that are different than Mm -hmm. yours. And so you can say some really horrible things, you know, online that you would never say to a human being, because once you've had contact with a real flesh and blood human being, Mm -hmm. even if you don't completely align with the way they live their life or the way they make their money Mm -hmm. or what they choose to do with their money, like you have met them as a human being. Mm -hmm. You have, you know, heard their story. You've met them in their vulnerable place. You've heard their pains, their, you know, their Mm -hmm. humanity. And it's a lot harder to be an asshole to (laughs) a fellow human being, I think. So... Yeah, like, I mean, anybody that would, you know, um, pass judgment on me for leaving and coming back to work, I guarantee you any of them would be happy to have me as their employee. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. you know. Her spirit awakens in the darkest hours of the night. The cold stillness that permeates the landscape just before the sun's glow creeps towards the horizon. This is her magic hour, open to her only if she pushes through the dredging tiredness and wills her cells to vibrate with lucidity into this time too often trampled by human exhaustion. When the sun has ascended into the morning sky, calling the diurnal creatures to their tasks, she sits with her coffee. The sudden grumble of a lawnmower jostles her out of any peaceful reverie. The distinct sound always fuels the sense of longing in her. She remembers the sound well from her childhood, one that reminded her then that a lawnmower meant there was grass to cut and most likely a father to do it. She had been blessed with neither, and to this day feels the pain of that loss. Even as she looks about her home, the solid walls she can claim as her own containing the things she has accumulated throughout her life, even thinking happily of the yard surrounding these walls and the lush plant life she has so lovingly planted and tended. Even these images are not enough to resolve the emotions of longing and despair that dug its roots deep into her psyche as a young child. She smothers these thoughts before they rise any further and heads to the stereo. A sweet scent of honeysuckle rides the breeze in through the window, shoving the sadness aside. She furthers its agenda by gently dropping the needle onto the record. The rhythmic scratching begins to relax her as the voice of Edith Piaf stumbles through, beginning its dance about the room. She stands still for a moment, filling herself with the melodic feel of sidewalk cafes, freshly baked bread, and men with magically exotic tongues. Then she slides across the room in a graceful arc as she overflows. She has always wanted to travel to France, but for now allows herself to be satisfied with Edith Piaf and bare feet dancing on a cool tile floor. She is a bundle of longing, a perpetual hand stretching towards what she does not have, a husband, Children, memories of a warm cup of Le Chocolat in her hands as she sits idly in the Tuileries Gardens in Paris. But in this moment, as honeysuckle flows delicately around her twirling body, fluffing her hair as she spins, the voice of Edith Piaf echoing off the blue and yellow curtains of her sun-warmed window and pulling gently at the corners of her mouth, it is enough. For now... It is enough. 
Thank you once again for tuning in. It is always our intention here to provide an honest portrayal of this world according to the diverse population of people who inhabit it. You may not always agree or align with the stories being told, but we invite you to listen and respond to what's being presented here. If you find stuff that excites you, angers you, frustrates, or opens you up in some new way, perhaps we have succeeded in seeding the conversation for future transformative talk. So keep the conversation going, won't you? Drop on over to the website, mendpodcast.com, and leave a comment below one of the episodes that spoke to you. Leave us a review on iTunes or write us at mendpodcast at gmail.com. One other mission we have here at Mend is to seek out and partner with like-minded organizations who we feel are doing good work in the world. One such site we found is the Emerald Tribune, which aims to tell the story of the cannabis industry from inside the industry itself, who believes, quote, it's time to tell the truth about the industry, help raise the level of all local farmers, and advocate for local control and respect for our way of life, end quote. If you have stories from inside this industry and way of life that you'd like to share in a written format, we invite you to contact them at their website, contact at emeraldtribune.com, or cruise on over to their website, emeraldtribune.com. Thank you for continuing to listen in and for being a part of this. We value your thoughts, voice, and perspective in all of this, so let's keep the conversation flowing. Until next time, may the stories we tell continue to stitch us back together.